0: glad you're here this morning we're luke chapter 18 verses 1 through 8 if you got a bulletin tell us what page that is on the bibles in the chairs somebody open a bulletin and tell us that 877. 877 thank you i should have thought about that beforehand but you know that's how we roll just adapting as things come. So hey, I, let me just encourage you to turn to that. Either find us on the U version Live event. Uh, we're going to refer to several verses around that. And I want you to be able, I'm not going to read them all. I just want you to be able to kind of scan through them with me as we do that. Uh, Luke 18, 1 through 8. I want to make sure you can follow along uh, and be uh, with us in it. So we all desire justice, right? I mean, there's this idea that we all desire justice. We may not agree what that justice looks like. We may not agree on the means of achieving that justice, but none of us appreciate injustice. None of us appreciate things being done wrong to someone else, Uh, but we can, even in all the different views of justice, we can agree on the fact that we long for justice. Just look, look around today. Look around today and turn on the news. You're going to hear somebody talking about injustice being uh, excised or exercised against some other person or people. You turn on the news, you hear about things, everything from systemic racism to to some crime being perpetrated against some victim or just interpersonal conflict. And that raises something in us. I mean, we feel the, the sense of injustice and we want to see wrongs made right. I mean, just as an example, there's, there's, there's different ways, though, that we come at this. And so just as an example, let's just consider some of the current events. Now, on the one hand, you turn on the news and you're going to hear people that are uh, uh, screaming about the injustice of statues being torn down because they, they represent national history. But the other side of that argument is is that there's these people that think it's an injustice for those statues to continue to stand because they represent slavery and racism. Maybe not quite as current, but just as hot-button an issue in our culture today is the the gay couple that thought that, that they wanted a particular baker to bake them a cake for their wedding. And they thought it an injustice when the baker refused. But on the other side of that issue, there was this baker who thought it was his constitutional right to refuse. And he felt it an injustice to be sued for something he thought he had a right to do. There's a common thread that runs through all those things. is that's that people desire justice. We don't want to live as victims. We don't want to be victimized, and we don't like looking at and thinking of victims. We may not agree how to get there. We may not not agree what it looks like to achieve justice. We may not agree on what justice actually is, but we all can agree that we want justice. This desire for justice, wrongs to be righted, injustice to, to end It's not something we just read about in the news, right? I mean, it's something that's personal to every one of us. In fact, even as I mentioned those events, it may have raised your sense of injustice and your desire for justice because these are two very divisive and polarizing perspectives. And it's likely that there are people on the different sides of those views sitting in this room right here, right now. But you feel the tension and you wish for justice. The problem is this is the reality that we live in. This is the sin-sick world that we exist in day to day. And we don't have to go far to find people dealing with injustice. Maybe even this week you've endured that yourself. You felt victimized. You felt taken advantage of. You've suffered some wrong at the hands of another person. There's hope. There is hope. There's hope that everything will be made right. There's reason to keep seeking justice. Not because we can attain it on our own. Not because we can find it or it will be provided by some earthly means. But because our just God has promised that he will bring justice to his people. There is hope. Because our God, our just God, has promised to bring justice. Now, From his teaching on the kingdom that has come and is coming, Jesus is going to make this promise. He's going to turn and make this promise, calling his followers to pray and not give up. It's really what we're working towards today. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Follow along as I read these verses. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, For a while he refused. On the earth, We pray and persevere until Jesus comes. We pray and persevere until Jesus comes because with Jesus comes justice for the people of his kingdom. There is hope for the justice that we desire. There is promise for the justice that we so long for. We desire for things to be made right. We, we long for evil to end. We long for suffering to cease. Many of us, maybe most of us, Many of us look for this justice in all the wrong places. We seek to achieve it on our own. We seek to, to work it out by our own means or, or count on some fallen, unjust system of the world to, 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 to make everything right for us. This promise from Jesus gives us every reason to not give up, to, not quit, to, to, to continue looking forward, to continue with great expectation that justice is coming. The provision of justice will be given. And it will come when the kingdom that he has promised, the kingdom that has come and is coming, it will come when that kingdom is fully consummated. Now, we have some work to do. That's the main point. But i got to prove that to you, right? Like, I can't. I, I would love if you just took my word for it. But we've got some work to do so that you can see that all play out. And, and and you can see it out of the text. We have some work to do, and it starts right there in verse eighteen or chapter eighteen, verse one, the very first wor- words we read. And look at him. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Luke doesn't give us. Any kind of indication that the, that the scenery changed or that, that this is a separate circumstance or that something happened and, and this is a, a whole other time that Jesus is teaching. And in the context, as you look at it, there's this eschatological, or I'm sorry, there's this end times perspective. When Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? There's this whole topical connection to the passage before it. In fact, most people that I read from see this as, as, as an extension or even the climax of the teaching that we looked at last week in chapter 17, verses 23: 20 21. So, if we're going to understand this parable, before we can go forward to the parable, we've got to kind of look back at what we studied last week. Now, for you that were here last week, this is going to serve kind of as a, a review or a reminder. You're, you will remember Matt talking about this, this kingdom, this better kingdom that Jesus is building. He painted this picture of the, of the beautiful king, the, the better kingdom. If you weren't here, you don't have to feel left out because we're going to take just a few seconds or actually a few minutes and kind of walk through those verses. We're not going to read them all. We're just going to kind of scan them. And so just, if you will, look back at chapter 17 as the, you know, just the the verses before beginning in verse 20. We see Jesus being asked by the Pharisees when his kingdom would come. When is this going to happen? When is the kingdom of God coming? And, and he doesn't give them an answer, I think, that they expect. I think it kind of surprises them. But he says in verse 21, you'll, you'll see, he says, it's here. The kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's here now. It's come. It has already come. You're, you're, you're in its presence. Now, I'm not going to go into all of that. Matt dealt with that last week. But I want you to see that there's this picture of a kingdom that has come. And then, instead of stopping, instead of his teaching ending, he changes his audience. And he begins to talk to a whole other group of people. It's not that he quits letting the Pharisees hear him. It's not that this is some secret meeting now with the disciples. But he moves from talking directly to the Pharisees. But in their hearing, he begins talking directly to his disciples. Because there's more that they need to learn about this kingdom and so he begins telling them about the fact that even though the kingdom has come in verses 22 through 37 Jesus lays out the kingdom that is coming it's an already not yet kind of reality it's already here but it's not yet here and I know that seems kind of crazy and confusing in our head but this is a this is an eternal kingdom this is God's kingdom it's it doesn't have to live up to what our standard, standards are But he describes it. And so I would just summarize it for us today. I would summarize it in this way just so we've got something to build out from. The kingdom of God has come. That's the first couple of verses. The rest of it is, but we are waiting for it to be consummated. And you can see how that works out in verses 22 through 37. We'll just skip down to verse 25 where Jesus begins kind of talking about the fact that there's something that's got to happen before the kingdom is consummated or before the kingdom comes in its full perfection. What's it say? Before it happens, he's got to suffer many things. He's going to have to die on the cross, rise again, right? He's got to do that before it happens. For them, that was a future event. It was something that was still yet to occur. But, but, but that's not the reality we live in, is it? That's a past event now. That's something that's occurred. That's something that happened. So we know that that little piece of, of, of history has happened, and now we don't live in that before time anymore. We live in the verses that follow. In verses 26 through the end of the chapter, just as it is written in the days of Noah. So it would be in the, in the days of the Son of Man. And Jesus goes on to kind of show, verses 26 through 37, that days are just going to keep ticking by. Life is just going to keep happening. People are going to continue to do the things that they do. Life is, we're going to get up, we're going to go to work, we're going to go, go home and rest, we're going to spend some time playing, we're going to marry one another, we're going to, uh, we're going to you know, buy, sell, trade, we're going to do all of these things. Life is just going to keep ticking. The clock is not going to stop. But uh, until, until the kingdom comes, all of these things will continue to occur. So we, we, we're past the before time, and now in the until time, until the kingdom is finally consummated, or until the kingdom finally comes. But he, he doesn't paint a picture that's completely pretty, full of roses and daisies. Like he references Noah, the days of Noah. It, it, that was a difficult time, right? Like we put that stuff on the walls of our kids' nurseries. Noah's Ark, all the animals smiling big and happy, you know. We never put the, we never put the pictures of the dead bodies floating around the ark. <laughs> I know. It's, we wouldn't do that, would we? Let's not start. Let's not start. But I mean, can, can we just take a second and bodies float up when they become bloated with air and they begin to rot, don't they? That ark was surrounded by death. The days of Lot. Man, you know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That's not one we can, we, we, we can't whitewash that in any way. We can't make that look better, can we? Those are days of death and destruction. But as that death and destruction raced at them, these people continued on day after day, marrying, buying, selling, working, playing, and resting. And he gives us this picture, and he, you can see it really in verse 22. I'm going to read this one specifically to you. I don't want you to miss it. He said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. He paints this with that phrase, and then with this, this, this illustration of Noah and the days of Lot, and he paints this picture of this ominous existence, this dark and difficult time. Until the kingdom comes, this is the way it's going to be. You're going to look around and you're going to see brokenness and you're going to see darkness and difficulty and you're going to long to see the days of Jesus. You're going to long for his kingdom. You're going to long for justice. But you're not going to see it. It's going to be beyond your grasp. This this ominous reality that he says we're going to exist in. In verse 32, he doesn't just leave us in this ominous reality. He he, he leaves us with a warning. In the midst of all this darkened difficulty, all all this evil and suffering. He leaves us with this warning. Remember Lot's wife. Who when she looked back was destroyed. And he warns his disciples, do not look back. Do not look back. Do not turn back to the old ways. Do not look back at all to those things. Until He comes, life will just keep ticking by. Suffering and, 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 and sin and evil will continue. You will long for the days of Jesus, but you will not see it amid the difficulty and darkness. You continue longing for and looking toward the day of Jesus' return. This is where we live. We hold in common with the disciples that stood there and heard Jesus' words and then watched Jesus die and watched Jesus rise and watched Jesus ascend. We stand with them now in this until the kingdom comes time where we long for His kingdom to be consummated because everywhere we look, We can see the sin and suffering in the world. We can see the effects of the sickness that, that is rotting the world from the inside out. The people that we love. It's not just out there. It's right here. In each and every one of us. Every time circumstances cause us to recognize our powerless position in the world. And these things are too big for us. They've been going on for years and years and years from one generation to the next and one culture to the next. There has been racism and hatred being expressed in every culture and every generation. There has been some level of classism. There has been some level of oppression. There have been people who have been being sinned against and there have been people who sin against them. And here we stand Let's put it on CNN and Fox. That'll make it better. Let's blame, our, let's blame our government and all the systems. And they are broken. But they've never been fixed by any system in this world. But we don't stand hopeless. Every time we feel like someone has taken advantage of us. Your boss didn't give you the accolades you thought you deserved and they just asked for more and more and more. Somebody cut you off in traffic and you thought, man, who is that person to cut me off in traffic? "Mm." You know, I don't do those kind of things anymore. Every time we have had to give something up in order to continue following Jesus... Every time we think we deserve something, the world tells us it's ours to have. And yet, it's not within the the realm. It it would be sin against God and uh, and his Savior, our Savior Jesus. It would be sin against him, sin against others. Every time we've had to make a decision to give something up to follow Jesus, we can sense what it is to long for justice. Every time. That we have felt the weight of sin's destructive power in this world every time that we have the certainty that this is not the way it was meant to be. We wish we didn't, that we wish that people we know didn't get sick. We wish that the suffering would cease, that evil would end. It's right here. And not only do we have that in common with the disciples that Jesus spoke to that day, we have it in common with the people we live with today. The world is not blind to injustice. They're screaming for it the same way we do. Every every person outside the church longs for justice in the same way you and I do. Every person who has ever lived or ever will live recognizes injustice when they see it, especially when they're the receiving when they're the one receiving that injustice. And we may not think it out in all of these terms specifically, but in every case, in every in every point, at every point that we face this and feel this and sense it, we like every other follower of Jesus that has gone before, we are longing for the days of Jesus. We are longing for Jesus' kingdom that has come to be consummated. We are longing for Jesus' kingdom to come in its final, completed, perfected glory. Jesus tells us until that day comes, don't look back. Don't turn back to what you used to depend on. Don't look back to the old way of life. Don't look back to the things that the world would have to offer. Find your life in this world and lose it, is his warning. What then do we do? What do we do until Jesus' kingdom comes? Well, the question isn't in the text explicitly. But that's exactly what Jesus is teaching through the parable that Luke introduces in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He tells them that this parable, he tells them in this parable that they should always pray and not lose heart. He just told them, now Jesus just told them, like in the days of Noah, the days of Lot, don't look back, you know, don't ever look back. That's a negative command. These are things not to do. Don't do this. But Luke tells us that the purpose of the parable that he's about to share with us is because this is the positive. What he told you don't do, do this instead. Pray and don't lose heart. Well, I don't want you again just to take my word for it. And I want you to understand the why behind it. So we need to walk through the parable now. Now we've kind of set the stage. We've got the sense of urgency. We've, we've actually put on ourselves the pressure that's going to exist in this world until he comes back. We're kind of in that place. Now we're ready to hear his parable. And you pick that up in verse 2 of chapter 18. He begins to talk about this, this judge in a certain city. He's very general. He doesn't give us any specifics. He speaks in very general terms. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. We'll just stop right there, and we're going to deal with the parable. There's three characters that we're introduced to. One of them is is kind of... off to the side. We don't really get to see them, but I'm going to start with that one. And that's the adversary. This is the person that causes injury, either physical or emotional. This is the person that sins against someone else. Sometimes these adversarial relationships are, are direct opposition. Like the white supremacist that stands against everybody that doesn't agree with white supremacy, right? Like a Nazi against everyone that's not Nazis. That's, that's direct opposition, but other times, these adversaries are much more subtle, and they happen within the relationship or in, within a relationship. The husband that says, I love you, and then commits adultery, that's sin against the spouse. That's an adversary. So, racists, adulterers, thieves, murderers, gossips—you know those people who say to your face that they love you or they think think you're great, and then they turn around and behind your back to everyone else they tear you down. Those are adversaries. And the list could go on, but the truth is, sometimes, sometimes we've been the adversary. Anytime we've sinned against another person, we could have filled this role. I think in the whole context, Jesus would say he doesn't want his people to be the adversary. The next character I'd like to introduce you to is the unjust judge. It states right out, I mean, he's pretty clear. He doesn't care about God or people. This man is in a position of power. This person is in a position of power that could make a difference but chooses to do nothing because he's consumed only with himself. This could be an, an, an official role like the one in the story. A, a, corrupted, a corrupted judge. I, I, I can't remember how long ago it was uh, but there was the, the kid who got drunk and ended up killing some people here in Springfield and the judge let them off and the city got upset about that. Do you remember that? We would say that's an unjust judge. Uh, It doesn't have to be just a judge. It could be something bigger the system, a broken system of government, an unjust system of government, which to some degree explains them all, right? You put people in there, there's corruption, and well, it's all of them. Or it could be something much less official much more unofficial like a parent whose child has told them that they're being bullied at school but that parent does nothing to help the parents in a position of power the parent could go to the school the parent could could help the child but days at the pool time to themselves and kids are just driving me crazy The only thing that moves this person, this unjust judge, is to act in their own selfish interest. You see what the judge did? He ignored the widow's plight. He ignored the widow's pain. He didn't care about what the widow was enduring. He only cared about himself. And it was her constant, persistent voice in his ear. When he's at the country club, she's standing outside. Give me justice! When he's going into his house in the evening to to eat dinner with his family, give me justice. When he walks out of the courthouse and comes down the steps, give me justice. He couldn't care less until it began to make him look bad. Literally in the text, it's, it, it, it reads in our, in our version. It says it says um, uh, that because he didn't want to be beaten down by her continual coming, verse five. He didn't want to be beaten down by her continual coming. He he finally did something. Literally in the original language, he, he didn't want to. He didn't want to have his eye blacked. He didn't want to have his face blackened. Like she was beating on him. This is a, a boxing metaphor. We kind of talk about it in terms of uh, I got a black eye. That means you know I. I I was made to look bad. This guy's so concerned about his image. He couldn't care less what she's suffering, what she's enduring. He's so concerned about his image. He finally moves to action. But let me just point out that that she may have received some form of justice, but she received another injustice in kind. He sinned against her himself. He did not love her. He did not care for her. He did not serve her. He did not do what his job was to do. He ignored her. And in so doing, he became her adversary. The unfortunate reality is that at some point or other, we have all been in a position where we could have helped, where we could have worked justice, And we chose not to. And I think if you could ask him today, Jesus would say, My followers are not to be the unjust judge. But then there's the third character, the persistent widow. She's been on the receiving end of someone's sin. She has an adversary. Someone has harmed her. We don't know exactly what has happened. We don't know the set of circumstances, but it was serious enough that she could not let it go. Like, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're mad for a minute, right? Well, then pass the next stoplight and you don't see the car anymore. Well, then you just move on. This is something that was so deep, so serious, so real, she could not move on from it. And yet, she is powerless to do anything about it. She has no capability, no ability in herself to bring justice. She is dependent upon the power power of others. In in this corrupted world, she has no opportunity to get justice unless it is given to her. That's the only way she's going to get justice. She's crying out for it. She's longing for it. She wants it. She's like the woman who screams for help as she's raped, but no one comes. She's like the child who suffers under the hand of a bully day after day, but no one stops it. She's like the infant crying for food, but her parents are too busy with drugs and drink to feed her. You see, I think the reality is Jesus intends to get us to find ourselves in this place, in the place of the powerless and persistent widow. And when we naturally fit into the role of the unjust judge, we naturally fall into, by our own sin, the role of the adversary. But he's saying, find yourself to be the, un, or, or to, the persistent widow, the woman who sees and understands she has no capability of herself to work out justice. We are powerless to end evil. We are powerless to cause suffering to cease. But there is hope. Because we know the one who is in power. And as members of his kingdom, we have access to that power. So Jesus tells this parable. So that we will do two things. Pray and persevere. Until Jesus' kingdom comes, we pray. That's what Luke tells us. That's a very specific purpose and why he came to this. I'm referencing this article. Matthew, Matthew Perry. Matthew Henry. Totally different people. Sorry. Matthew Henry, a, a, a Puritan writer. Matthew, yeah. Anyway. Sorry. Matthew Henry writes, It supposes that all God's people, this passage, this parable, supposes that all God's people are praying people. All God's children keep up both a constant and occasional correspondence with him. Send him statedly and upon every emergency. It is our privilege and honor that we pray. It's our privilege. It's our honor, he says. It is our duty we ought to pray. We sin if we neglect it. It is our, it's to be our constant work. We ought always to pray. It is that which the duty of every day requires. We must pray and never grow weary of praying nor think of leaving it off till it comes to be swallowed up in everlasting praise. You know when we get to quit praying? When Jesus Comes When the kingdom that has come is finally consummated, when Jesus stands on the earth and we are in his presence, our praying will be swallowed up by everlasting praise. That's when our prayers for this justice can cease. But I wonder, do we pray like this? I I would suggest that many of us don't feel like we know how to pray or even what to pray. Well, I would suggest in the context of this that you pray for justice. You were promised that God will answer that prayer, yes. It may not happen exactly in your time frame, but Jesus says, pray and persevere, keep on praying, and God will bring justice to his elect. He just promised you, if you pray for that, you will receive it. You get to pray something you know God's going to answer affirmatively. There's other tools that can help you learn how to pray and what to pray. You can follow some of the acrostics like acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, adoring God, confessing sin to God, thanking God for forgiveness and His work in the world, supplicating or or, or asking God on behalf of yourself and others to work, seeking justice, There's another one, pray, P-R-A-Y, praise God, repent of sin, ask God to work on your behalf and others, on the behalf of others, and then yield, submit to God that he will answer and trust that his answer is bigger and better than what you would do. Acts or pray, two good tools, two good acrostics that will help you learn how to pray. Use the scriptures as your guide to praying. Pray the prayers of Scripture. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. I heard this. I think it was, it was either Sam Storms or, or uh, I can't think of his name now. Uh, man, I have a lot of respect for him. But I, 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 Ray Orland. I'm pretty sure that it was Ray Orland. He said, hey, pray the prayers of Paul in Scripture. Pray the prayers of Scripture. When you pray those prayers, it's like God put them in the Bible, like they're pre-approved prayers. Right? So it's, it's prayers he's going to answer. It's prayers he wants to work in. Pray the prayers of Scripture. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Chris Estes showed you a book that we have used uh, around the church, Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. Get that book. It'll help you understand how to pray the Scripture, to to read the Scripture, to pray the Scripture, and to, to, to talk to God through His Word. And maybe one pretty revolutionary thought, something new that nobody has ever thought of before, because, you know, that's how I roll. How about you just use the Lord's Prayer? There's basically six requests. I'm showing you three fingers. There's six requests basically in the Lord's Prayer. List them out. And then you don't have to recite them word for word, but ask God, honor God. Seek his exaltation. Exaltation. Ask for His will to be done in His kingdom to come. Ask for His mission to be completed. Ask for His will to be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Seeking justice on the behalf of on behalf of those who su- who suffer injustice. And then you move to the second half, and the second half is about praying for your daily need, praying for forgiveness and protection from evil. And it's all these things, this life that we live in this time that we live until the kingdom comes. We pray. There's six basic requests that will fit every prayer in the Lord's Prayer. Just take it and use it. That's why Jesus gave it to us. When you pray. Well, when should we pray? Always. It says at the, in verse 1 that they always to pray that they ought always to pray and not lose heart there's a sense that there's this ongoing prayer I don't think that Jesus means that every word is a word of prayer sometimes we have to talk to other people right I mean when the guy cuts you off in traffic you got to scream at him that's probably not the best example but there are times we have to talk to other people there are times that our thoughts are going to be captivated, captivated by other things, but we should continually move into prayer at every opportunity. We should pray. I think I know it was Matthew Henry. Another time said, "Prayer time must be kept as duly as meal time." Like we're not missing meals, right? Maybe you do. I don't. These regular things of the day, we're making sure they're kind of set aside. There's going to be times you need to be in the prayer closet where you're totally shut off, where you're totally uh, uh, isolated with God that your thoughts can be toward Him. But there are times when you're walking in the world, you see injustice and you pray. There are times when you're walking in the world and you're just living day to day and you are depending on God in the midst of that situation because you are suffering some injustice, because you are dealing with some difficulty that you recognize you are powerless to do anything about. So we pray. Pray. We don't quit praying until Jesus' come kingdom. Until Jesus' kingdom comes, we pray. Until Jesus' kingdom comes, we persevere. Persevere in pray and in prayer, like we just after it, just on it. We're thinking about it. We want to. We get to it. Right. We're not setting it aside till we go to bed. I got to catch up on my shows on Netflix, so I'll spend some time watching them. I'll, I'll pray when I when I get to bed. I'm not saying don't ever sit down and watch a show and let your mind rest. That's not what I'm saying. But if the default of our life is to always move to shutting our mind off and we're not taking the opportunity to pray, that's not the perseverance in prayer that Jesus is calling us to. Persevere. Just like the widow, we take every opportunity to call on God and ask for justice. We ask for his kingdom to come and finally be consummated, to be finally completed in all of its perfect glory. We persevere in looking forward to that day. He said, don't look back, keep pushing forward persevere in this do not give up on your longing for this your desire for this this is where all wrongs are righted this is where injustice is made an end this is where justice is served where all suffering ceases and evil ends that's in the coming consummated kingdom and so we persevere we push on to that day why why would we do it Look around, it's so, so dismal and dark. It's only getting worse. It seems so difficult. Why in the world would we keep going? Because He promises us that the Lord will hear and give justice to His elect. This is verse 7. And will not God give justice to His elect? who cry to him day and night. Look, Jesus isn't teaching this parable because he wants us to to draw a parallel between God and the unjust judge. He isn't just simply telling us this parable so that we can find in ourselves the persistent widow. This parable is not primarily about an unjust judge or a persistent widow. This parable is about a just God who gives his people what he promises. He is the one who will do this Work. We don't call on Him because we, if we beat Him up enough, He'll finally give us justice. We call on Him because we know He has promised to do this. We do it because He's already promised it. We do it because He's going to work it out. He's the one that has power to make it happen. We do it because we know that in certainty, by His power, through His might, according to His will, He will give justice to His people. We pray and persevere until Jesus' kingdom comes because with jesus comes justice for the people of his kingdom and we don't quit we don't give up when the kingdom comes every injustice will be settled every adversary will have their day in the divine court every justice will be provided all justice will be provided in one of two ways In judgment, where the unrepentant, unbelieving person, the adversary that never confessed their sin, will carry the weight and condemnation of that sin. I need to just take a second because there's a reality. That, that person may be here. You're carrying a weight sin that you cannot pay for. You are powerless to pay for. You have been the adversary. You have been the unjust judge. You have never confessed that sin against man or God. When the kingdom comes, you will receive justice. Would you repent? Would you confess your sin and trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ? Because this is the second piece. This is the second way justice is brought. It is either in judgment on you or in judgment on Christ through the cross. Where the repentant and believing person trusts that Jesus' death on the cross was a sacrifice for all their sins, they are no longer counted unjust. They are no longer counted the adversary. They are given the righteousness, the justice of Jesus Christ himself. The only thing we can do is believe, trust that that is true. We can't work it ourselves. We can't do it on our own. We we have no power to accomplish it. We are dependent upon someone giving us justice and our father has done that through the cross all you have to do is say I am a sinner in need of a savior until his kingdom comes we pray and we persevere or in the words of Spurgeon keep your eyes simply on him let his death His sufferings, his merits, his glories, his intercession. Be fresh upon your mind. When you wake in the morning, look to him. When you lie down at night, look to him. Oh, let not your hopes or fears come between you and Jesus. Follow hard after him. And he will never fail you. He will bring you the justice that you so desire. And the parable ends with a rhetorical question. We don't get to hear the answer, but I think it's left for us to answer. When Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find us praying and persevering because we believe that in him all justice is served? Will we continue looking to his kingdom? Will we not look back? Will we not turn back? Will we not seek to find our life in this world? Will we keep persevering toward the coming consummating day of his kingdom? And will we pray to him and him alone for justice? If he comes back right now, in this moment, is he going to find you praying and persevering? If he waits a week, or let's say ten, to that point where you can't even recall the passage that this sermon was preached from, will he continue finding? Will he find you continuing in prayer and perseverance? What if he lingers, and he doesn't come and consummate his kingdom for generations? Will your legacy lead to others praying and persevering until the coming of his kingdom? What's he going to find when he shows up? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the cross, grateful for the truth that comes and convicts, and grateful for the grace that it bestows upon us and shows us the hope we have because of your work through your Son, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Would you move on our hearts today? Would you show us? Our hope is not in making this world better, but looking to the day when you make this world new. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.